Hey, Peter. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm just uh, looking over the memory alpha for the episode, trying to think about what we might talk about here. How about you? What you been up to? Work's been a, a real B. Any bits or skits or anything you want to do for this one? Well, nothing immediately comes to mind, but uh, I do have, you know, some some thoughts well, what, about what is, where what we you, might... What are you playing? What is this? What do you mean? Uh, that fucking nasty slash fic music you used from last episode. Why am I hearing that right now? What, what do you mean, Peter? I, I, I guess maybe there is something playing in the background, because... You know, one of our fans found Delta Arrow, a Vorik Ensign Kim slash fic. Yeah, and, and you know, I just thought maybe we need to give our fans well, really just what thought, they love. Joe, I listened to the podcast on the way to work this morning. I had to pull my phone out and skip forward through your voice. Hey, listen, this one has additional tags of anal sex, what? mating cycles, and heat. Uh, listen, I'm going to tell you right time. now. Executive order, we are never going to do another goddamn Star Trek Voyager slash fic episode ever again. I'm, I'm, this is verboten. I'm putting my foot down. I got to be the people's champ on this one, Joe. No. All right. No. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That's been forbidden. Nine. Welcome to V'ger, please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. <laughs> we just got done doing a, a, the comedy bit you probably just heard. and I, I was desperate to find a way to fit in the fact that one of our fans found even dirtier slash fic for us. Do not encourage these people, Joe. <laughs> Do not. I'm so happy I've unlocked these vistas. No. These are vistas I knew existed and that I've... And hopefully the viewers, at, the, the listeners at home have, have willfully turned a blind ear to as well. Some things belong locked away in your parents' basement, never to be. <laughs> Once you open one of these doors, I mean, it's just going to be too tempting. Someone's going to find something even worse. I just, wah, I'm counting on you fans. No. But this episode that we're watching, that we did watch, we're reviewing today, significantly less sexy. What was it, Peter? We're into season three, episode 17, Unity. So this is obviously the first quote unquote Borg episode. I guess that's a tiny bit of a spoiler, but we kind of already mentioned that last week. And the description mentions it too, so there it is. It's probably one of the better ones, in my estimation. Uh, so some interesting Trek stuff happened in this. Uh, I'm going to look at this as a inner city drug deal, right? The first taste is free because <laughs> I saw what they did to the Q and I know that they're not done effing the Q in the A. It's the Borg's turn now. Uh, so I know it's going to get ugly, but this, you know, if if, if I was just a dude chilling out in 1990 whatever and you showed me a star trek episode and this borg episode was there i'd be like yeah this was cool uh i would like to have more of this i think you might have a good story to tell and i would like to sign up for your newsletter agreed completely agreed and this one was also uh directed by robert duncan mcneil mm-hmm. uh probably why he is essentially not in the episode for the most part 
Kenneth Biller wrote this one, and I can't think of Kenneth Biller's extended contributions at this time, but I do know that he was responsible for Q and the Grey, which was a fucking shit show. He also did the he did the shoot. He did Tuvix. Uh, he did a whole bunch of stuff that we've seen both up and down. Like he was responsible for Jatrell, but he was also responsible for Elogium. The fuck, so, uh, the, Kenneth the Shotgun Biller. He's just <laughs> all over the place, man. Spray old spray and pray Biller. Maybe he'll hit pure gold. Maybe he'll hit you in the eye or the dick. Who knows? So I think what this episode does right is it's a episode about the Borg that still makes the Borg scary, even when it's not trying to be scary. And I think it's worth pointing that out now, because where Voyager goes wrong with the Borg is when they fuck that up. And this is an example of doing it correct. And and I look forward to exploring why it is I feel that way. Uh, but my, my thesis statement on this is the reason why this one works is it'll be fun to take that reasoning and then apply it to some of the dog shit Borg episodes that we will see down the road and be able to point out, like, here's why this didn't work. We talk about the drow effect, the drow treatment that is putting the spotlight on the creepy boogeymen of any sort of fantasy or science fiction property. It's something that the average person does not know about. And you have created this thing that needs to be scary and serve as an appropriate antagonist to your good guys uh, to raise the stakes for those encounters. And when you give it the drow treatment, you are dragging it into the sunlight. You are opening the pages of that book open wide and you are saying, hey, here is every detail about this thing. So you now understand it inside and out. Maybe there's a cool little story to tell there, or maybe it's stupid and contrived and and lame. But regardless, you now know this thing inside and out. It's not scary anymore. You've seen and it. With I, I sh- we should point out that the drow treatment is out of the misguided attempt to say, oh, you liked this thing that was previously mysterious and scary. Clearly, I interpret that to mean I should just give you so much more of that and explain more of its background, right. which is not what you should do. I think in this case, we haven't gotten to the drow treatment yet because everything that this episode is going to cover is things that I think any attentive fan could come to their own conclusion on. And we're going to talk broad strokes before we get into the scene by scene. But all of these Borg used to be somebody once upon a time. And when you join the collective, you lose that individuality. But when you are removed from the collective, maybe that comes back. And we saw to a certain extent in Next Gen with uh, Hugh, and then later on Descents Part 1 and 2, where uh, the impact of Hugh rejoining the collective with his individuality ruins the collective, and Lore, Data's evil twin brother, is able to kind of capitalize on that and make himself king of the misfits. Um, but the Borg in... Descent 1 and 2, which are like these roving, mean-spirited mercenaries working for uh, for Lore. And maybe it's because Lore was a, you know ultimately an evil android and it was only giving them bad emotions. But this is the other side of that coin. What happens if it's an organic thing, some sort of industrial accident, and these people get the spark of life back on, on their own? So it's a 
Borg story. There's scary Borg parts to it. But ultimately, it's something you knew that might happen. I don't think they're really ruining anything. They're not ruining the mystique. It's just like enhancing like, oh, God, those are really just people in there after all. Right, which they previously established. And I'll get to kind of the horror I like about this episode uh, when we kind of get through the plot points. But where do we start out with this, Peter? Well, before we start off with it, let's look at the the big Star Trek picture because uh, do you have a memory of what's I do. I have it open. What year did this come out? Uh, this would be February 12th, 1997. So this is right before First Contact. I think the last time that we would have seen the Borg in Star Trek would have been, geez, I don't even know what the last encounter in, in Next Gen would have been. Maybe actually, it would have been Descent, yeah. So the last time we saw the Borg, they were scattered and, and effed up and under Lore's control. Paramount and the the start, you know, Rick Berman, they're getting ready for a blockbuster and arguably the best next-gen movie of them all, First Contact, which is where they really swing for the fences with it. So this is kind of a big deal. Um, Borg are, of course, a fan favorite. There's some pretty high expectations. And this is uh, this is going to be the appetizers to the main course of First Contact in the theaters. Sorry to correct you, but First Contact had come out in November 1996. Did it? Yeah. So the I remember from reading the Memory Alpha from last week that the reason why they waited until now for the Borg to show up is they're waiting for that movie to happen. Mm-hmm. So First Contact is, has reestablished the Borg as a big pop culture thing. First Contact, probably the best next gen movie, certainly the most financially successful. And so the the pump was primed because that was just months prior for the Borg to show up in Voyager. And obviously they got teased last week and and here we are starting to to tease it out a little bit. Star date wise, did first contact already happen by the time this happens in Voyager? Let's see. Star date for first contact was five zero eight nine three point five and this is five zero six one four point two so this technically happened before first contact in universe the borg queen getting her shit wrecked at the end of first contact it's not like this is really inappropriate that the borg are up and functioning correct i'm sorry not well you know using this as a snapshot this looks like the borg are in complete disarray so i guess it would jive even if if first contact did happen um before but you know, as we'll talk about this, Unity does not is just really a tiny, just one cube, you know, random shit happened to it. So what happened what was happening with the rest of the Borg doesn't really necessarily matter. Fair enough. This is a uh, this is the right kind of a bottle episode, I suppose. I would agree. Where does uh, it start? So we start off in a type two shuttlecraft. Uh, Chakotay is in there and wisely we have not placed Captain Janeway and uh, Commander Chakotay in the same place in the same rickety little life barge (laughs) speeding towards a life of many deaths. I mean, I I figured you would appreciate the fact that we're opening yet another Voyager episode with yet another fucking shuttlecraft accident. You know what? At a certain point, you just lose count and it becomes par for the course and it's just like... I'm I remember gonna, when you were going to try and start to keep track of this, and I was laughing to myself, like, when is he going to give up? <laughs> like, It is such a trope that this show has shuttlecraft accident after shuttlecraft accident that the show internally acknowledges its own trope eventually as a plot point. Well, 
we got uh, Chakotay, and we have someone that I'm pretty excited for, which is Ensign Kaplan, who has a fair amount of dialogue, and she's a plucky uh, assistant to Chakotay. They're out doing some, um, I don't know, they're, they're trying to get a lay of the land. They're still on the Necritic Expanse, which was a big deal back in uh, Fair Trade. This is that section of space where Neelix knows nothing and Voyager is kind of flying blind, even though they have all that telemetry data from Threshold, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> and when we pick up with Chakotay and Kaplan, we find out that their shit's all fucked up and they have been flying around in circles for the past two hours and they're effectively lost. Ensign Kaplan, who's been kind of like a background figure in a few episodes before, but I think this is the first time that she's had lines as far as i'm aware uh is is definitely a plucky go-getter uh but suffering from a bit of of uh stereotypical lack of direction and they end up picking up a distress call um after detecting a signal buoy with a federation signature which they originally think oh that must be voyager obviously and then they go to the the signature, get the distress call. And the distress call specifically says, hey, Federation vessel, help us, which they are immediately like, uh, what? Who the, I think even Kaplan says, like, how would anyone know that we're from the Federation out here in the lawless Delta Quadrant? Like, what the, what the actual fuck? Why would anyone be asking it for us by name? Which I felt was like a pretty natural response, but at the same time, you know, with our jokes about uh, Delta Quadrant next door, mm-hmm. you know, words probably out that these I mean, we know words out that these Federation guys are, you know, rampaging through the Delta Quadrant causing chaos and disorder in their wake. But this was definitely more of a not hey Voyager strange ship from across the galaxy. It was it was said like somebody who knows what the Federation is. I, I meant to bring it up in our opening you know, we've touched on how much good sci-fi is out there right now. And I started watching the series on Netflix, Love, Death, and Robots. Have you touched on it at all yet? I never even heard of it. Check it out. It's real good. And it's one of these anthologies. It's kind of like the Twilight Zone of animated and CGI sci-fi stories. It's really good. And there's one story out there in specific. It's called Beyond the Aquilus Rift. Uh, and I don't want to spoil stuff, but it involves a ship going into warp and ending up very far away than where it should have been. And things get pretty dark in it. And it just reminds me of how good of a story Voyager had to look at, like on paper when, when they pitched it. Like Voyager, Federation crew, way far away from home, and it's very dangerous, and it's going to be a brutal trip back. And of course, it gets watered down to the point where it, none of that matters. But this little setup they've got here, you know, what if uh, Voyager's not the only Federation ship that has fallen victim to the caretaker or whatever other New Jersey abduction alien plot point out there to get another ship out there? And what if they did not fare as well as Voyager has and you just come across other you know, people that are from the Alpha Quadrant stranded miserably. Uh, what kind of terrible stories could you tell there? You know, scary stories, not not bad stories. To that point, we if you recall, in the very first episode of the show, there is a suggestion that other ships 
from other races were pulled into the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. But they've never followed up on that. And I'm sorry to tell you, for the most part, they leave that untouched. I say for the most part because there is one example. And I won't say anything else, so it's not to spoil it for you. <laughs> Was it uh, but... Cheeky Ferengi on their uh, their pleasure planet of Underboob? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, not uh, the Ho Train planet. No, fuck that episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, let's go home. Wait, let's no, let's fuck around the Ferengi first, Top then let's go home. <sighs> but you know, if we're gonna drag the Borg out in the queue and all this other stuff. We talked before about yeah, how they never just take the Ferengi out back the chemical shed and shoot in the head. Fuck it. They never have uh, the time to close out the Kess and Neelix love situation that, you know, they could never find an episode to drop that missing footage into. And we see so many duds. We saw that damn Janeway mind parasite <laughs> episode. <laughs> All this garbage. But there's there's really good stories, I think, that are waiting to be told for Voyager that just do not get touched. And when they're laying out this thing, you know, the, the Federation buoy, the strand appeal. I was like, man, I know this is going to be a Borg episode, but but what if? So it piques their interest and uh, Chakotay being a good dude decides we're going to go down and try and help these guys. Uh, I guess this will be a pretty big point against Chakotay on this one. You know, I would think getting back to your ship and then bringing the whole ship to come and help him would have been the smart thing, but they pop off a, a message beacon, so when Voyager comes looking for them, they'll be able to find it, and they go to head down to the, the surface. I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. How many days was Chakotay supposed to be out in the shuttle? Because I got the feeling it was like a multi-day mission. Yeah, it does sound like that they were supposed to be out there doing this scouting run for a, for a bit. Uh, I would assume that you know the, the bunks on those tiny shuttlecraft there in the back are pretty uncomfortable but you could probably do a few days in them like i think the type six is bigger than i don't know i guess we haven't really seen a type two that wasn't cg flying through space um they just seem really small to me it seems like a runabout mission not a that but you know you got to rough it when you're voyager on their way down to the surface the shuttle miraculously lands without being shot down by vidians or otherwise Chakotay and uh, Kaplan roll out and they start poking around. And this planet looks like a junkyard with a bunch of crap everywhere. And they say, this place looks like a war zone. There's scorch marks. There's there's hobo fires. I was going to say, there's one specific house style to Berman era Trek as to how they portray shitty planets. And that is, it's the set. It looks like it is a... Las Vegas casino a hotel that's half built with a bunch of sawdust and two by fours lying around with strategically placed hobo fires every fucking time. That's what it fucking looks like. Remember the episode where they introduced Ro Laren? Yes. And they like go to the Bajoran camp. Yeah. It's the got terrorist that. weapons. The, or the episode where they've got like the there's the planet that's like has part of its race is like a bunch of uh, gypsies mm-hmm. and they want to try and reunite and they, they go got to the negotiate author- author- uh, authoritarian police dudes that have like the American gladiator blue skin tight uniforms and they all have like white swoops in their hair. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it exactly- always looks like this. Yeah. If there are some sort of terrorist f- factions at play, 
this is what your planet's going to look like. And I just, I would, I would love for at some point a Starfleet officer that has like some, some veterancy, you know, has, has some experience to like beam down and to see this and be like, get, get to cover emergency beam out. I see three hobo fires within Wait, hold on a, second. a ninety you, foot radius. Everybody see a, a, a third fire because it's like when you know you're in the hood, right? You're, when you can see a <laughs> a rent a center, a Dollar Tree, and some sort of like Sally's Discount Beauty, and a chicken place, you're in the hood. <laughs> Doesn't matter how nice the neighborhood next to you is. Like if you can see those things, you're in the hood. And and I I get where you're coming from. Yeah, that <laughs> this is way too many hobo fires. We need to leave now. And just and just for the record, those chicken places in the hood can be very delicious. That's how they Let's get you. Out there. That's how they lure you in. It's like a Federation buoy asking for... <laughs> they don't get very uh, deep into this failed casino construction zone before some dudes in cloaks show up and engage them in a pretty good firefight, man. Chakotay Ninja rolls over behind some junk. Kaplan gets in. These guys have like some fallout mishmash pipe gun weapons that are <laughs> shooting lawn gnomes and weird <laughs> green plasma all over the place. Yeah, they definitely look like they have like kit bashed weapons. And uh, thankfully, obviously, they they very uh, unceremoniously kill off uh, poor Ensign Kaplan here. But at least she gets to like represent a little bit. Gets a little action, takes one of the guys down with a phaser blast. Like they at least give the poor red shirt, or in this case, yellow shirt, uh, a chance to shine rather than just die. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, uh, Kaplan gets aced. Uh, Chakotay gets hit by some sort of like bubble beam that <laughs> doesn't immediately kill him, but you know, puts gives him the sh- gives him the shakes and and puts him down. And it just so happens to be that's when a bunch of other hooded uh, looking hobo aliens show up, one of which has like the goofiest flamethrower looking thing that has this terrible CG effect. I thought that was cool. Scares them off with this with the plasma flamethrower. Yeah, the the attackers go to, you know, move over and loot Chakotay. And yeah, the second group just shows up. This dude's got this fuck you gun. Everyone's like, oh, no. I've seen that burn people's faces off. I don't want any part of that. And they uh, they peace out. I thought it was a good fight. I liked it. I did, too. Uh, when Chakotay comes uh, comes around, she sees that he's being uh, sort of assisted uh, by a woman that is clearly human. She says her name is Riley Frazier. Uh, she relates that Kaplan has died. The shuttle has apparently already been scrapped. You know, that's what you get for parking your car in the hood. Yeah, they got it up on and cinder blocks. They got the engines off. Riley Frazier very specifically describes how it is that she, a human, is on this planet along with other uh, aliens from the Alpha Quadrant. And quite notably, nothing she says is a lie. Because what she says is that they were attacked by some aliens. Some were killed. Others were put in stasis. And then she woke up on this planet along with several Romulans, Klingons, and Cardassians. They were all grabbed from where they were, and they have shown up on this planet. And and sure enough, you know, some old racial hatred has broken out and has caused conflict. None of that's specifically a lie. Yeah, you might recognize this story as a version of the 37s that does not suck complete ass. 
And it's funny that no point during this entire episode do they mention the 37s, because like you said, her whole story we have already seen is plausible, that there can be humans of different types and people who should be at odds that just get scooped up and end up for one reason or another in the Delta Quadrant along with their beat up old Ford trucks. Uh, so this fits the format. The most jarring thing about this is they're on this dump garbage fire of a world. And she looks like something out of a 1950s pinup. Uh, she's got, oh, she's got great hair, flowing Best hair, beautiful blonde hair in this very modest dress. And her manners are very nice. Like you said, we find out that she was, We'll ultimately find out that she was a Starfleet scientist. Yep. Uh, and it just really sticks out as the stark contrast to the world uh, around Chakotay. And there's a little bit of misdirection here. And I'll get into what I thought was going to happen in this episode later. But right now, it's just kind of unnerving that there could be this lady that does not fit at all with the environment around her. Um, but yeah, she lays the story out to Chakotay and there's no glaring holes in it. Um, things are not looking too great for Chakotay. He's got some neurological damage he took as a side effect of uh, whatever prison style shank weapon was uh, used on him. <laughs> right. And funny enough, uh, the base that he's going to be chilling out in for the majority of this episode is actually a redressed version of the shoot which was also used as the necritic expanse border colony. So speaking of the expanse, uh, we cut back to Voyager after we get this backstory and uh, they, they link this back to uh, the fair trade episode where they're still traveling through the necrit expanse. And, you know, it's taken him quite a long time to get through this region and it's not well mapped and it's all kind of gnarly. And that is why, Chakotay and Kaplan were out there. They're trying to scout kind of a faster way to get through this part of space. And, you know, they're doing their normal, like, uh, you know, Tom's having a little fun saying that, you know, there's just nothing that's been interesting for the last few days. And that's not something you ever tell your boss because that's when your boss gives you a new assignment. What that and is, is a key insight into how powerful those Federation antidepressants are and we've joked about this before the amount of terrible shit that this crew has seen and for tom to even be as crazy enough to be like man you know what i'm really sad that we haven't been forcefully boarded by uh roving space nazi organ thieves or telepathic <laughs> really spices up my day when we run alien into a bunch of guys. <laughs> yeah like the fact they show up kind of just twitchy like uh, uh, uh. nope Cool as a cucumber. Not, thank God we haven't run into something that's tried to kill us for the last few days. I was able to get my fucking tomato soup in peace. No. Yeah. No, Tom Tom can't let sleeping dogs lie. He's got a Bugs pick. that came on and, you know, we're spawning out of wounds in our neck. Yeah, I really need alien disease eggs growing out of my neck to really feel like my day was fulfilling. Uh, but uh, as if on cue, uh, they, they find a interesting navigational hazard in front of them and when they get it on screen what should it be but a motherfucking board cube baby it is uh big and bad and Square. right there in front of their face and you know they they quickly throw shields up and are like in in panic mode 
this is your worst case scenario as Starfleet on this ship because the Borg have run hot dick up through the Federation over and over, and this is a no win for you. So I think they do a good job in the episode portraying that moment where everybody's blood turns cold and everybody just wants to get the fuck out of there. But old crazy trap trap queen Janeway's like, no. They seem like they're uh, they're turned off or they're adrift for some reason. And they're like, yeah, maybe they're just playing possum. So we fly up and they can snatch our ass. And she's like, challenge accepted. Tom Lane, of course. I will say that Tuvok does mention that there's no record of any tactics by the point of the Borg where they play possum. So they do momentarily, you know, kind of confront that idea. I will say that I think this episode would have been better if there was something in between it where you have the Voyager crew really starting to have to, like, think about, oh, fuck. If we run into the Borg, we're out here by ourselves. As noted, they run all kinds of hot dick over the Federation. And they start to consider, like, what are our options? You know, how do we fight the Borg? What are our tactical procedures? Maybe them like trying to like make a deal with some locals for some kind of like anti-Borg Texas on the like the 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 fringes of Borg space or something like that. There could have been a story there that they could have told that was about Voyager kind of like girding themselves for the eventual reality that they're going to have to go through Borg space. I would have liked Voyager to pop out for a second and there to actually be some sort of a staff meeting like once they reach relative safety about what do we do i think that janeway off the cuff making the decision to drag the entire ship to a very real doom uh felt off and i think that the another conversation to have on this uh in that staff meeting would have been tom or one of the other more bleeding heart types to say hey look you know this isn't just our life on the line if we go there and this ship wakes up and snatches us and they assimilate us and they get our database we've got three years of rolling through the delta quadrant and all of these little pockets of interesting civilizations that have thus far evaded borg interference and we know the you know from the last episode that the borg are out here actively assimilating people um Maybe it's been luck. Maybe it's been, you know, because the Skeevians or or whoever have taken steps to protect themselves. But we are going to hand them a treasure map of stuff to go jam tentacles into and and assimilate. I I think mostly I'm I'm with you. This this needed some kind of beat that justified the risk. It didn't exist. That's the bottom line for me. Mm-hmm. But. Whatever, we're making the episode work. They decide, let's stick our nose in this and hopefully we won't, you know, trip and fall down onto an assimilation tube and turn into a space <laughs> zombie. That would be tragic. Back on the planet, uh, we've got Chakotay, you know, trying to feel out what's going on on this planet with Frazier and and all that, but he's having brain problems still from whatever happened to him. And, you know, he's... He's starting to fade medically and he's not much use. And it's clear that they imply through the caginess of everyone at the settlement without saying that 
they're not necessarily nefarious, but they are definitely holding something back. I think that was well done on their part. You kind of felt the deception without if without it being like too obvious, you know? Well, you don't even get to see anybody else in the settlement until he eventually uh, escapes the little quarters that she's provided for him. And a couple interesting things happen in this scene while he's starting to really bond with Riley. We are treated to the uh, fact that Chakotay is a vegetarian. And you know that because like uh, any other <laughs> vegan or whatever, he he makes a point in shoving it in her face. Um, <laughs> it's got to make sure he talks about it. I'm kind of wondering where all these uh, peas and cabbages came from that, uh, you know, they didn't they didn't put the budget into getting the alien food here. But to his to his medical ailment specifically, as this bonding scene goes on, he keeps bringing his hand up to, like, touch the side of his face and he's got this black, like, I don't know, necrotic, veiny material that's starting to spread out from what looks like an invisible, like a wound site, but there's no wound on his head. It's just this this blackening, tender right. mask. I know that those people are all ultimately going to be Borg. I don't know if they're good Borg or bad Borg or what. And there's stuff that just is not adding up in this scene for me. The fact that Riley looks so picture perfect. The fact that the shelves in the uh, kitchen where they're working on are like pristine uh, commercial grade restaurant shelving. And that I can see very clear cabbages and peas. And it's like, this stuff shouldn't be here. This should all be bombed out and look like shit. She should look like a you know, fallout wasteland character, not something storybook quality and he keeps going up to his head and touching it i'm like what if right now chakotay's really laying on a table somewhere and there's a borg implant dug into the side of his head and he is being warmed up to these people in a vr construct and this is a big slow con i mean there's a lot of potential in what they choose to not show and show that there's a little bit of caginess on everyone's part. I, you know, we're obviously have already talked about how, what's actually going to happen here. Yeah. But you know, they respect the audience's intelligence enough here that I, I really liked it. it I, I just, I guess I was because he kept touching this wound on his head that was getting worse and worse. Like, Star Trek's always been this thing like there can be invisible implants or things going on that's imperceptible to the crew, but you have this physical ailment that accompanies it. And uh, I was really putting my money on the fact that there was in real life uh, some sort of an implant jammed in his head and that this was all a line of uh, of fantasy. Uh, I kind of so th- liked that if they played it straight and that it was just that. I mean, they obviously did some level of deception, but it wasn't quite that level of deception. Right. They do just enough to make what the cooperative ultimately does to be seem pretty benign. But still wasn't, which is, I guess, let me I guess this is a good time for me to talk about what I liked. So long story made short, Chakotay eventually breaks out of his cell. He finds out that the people that he's in the settlement with are former Borg drones. They are the drones that were from the very cube that Voyager has found. And they were cut off from the Borg as a whole due to a freak electrical storm 
that just so happened to strike in such a way that they were cut off from the rest of the collective and the collective doesn't really know what happened to them. So no one's come to try and find them. And they've been, as a consequence, been stuck with their individuality ever since. And what this has done is bred natural resurfacing of resentment among the drones from their prior lives and has started to fracture the settlement and created a power struggle. What I really love is that the quote unquote nice protagonists, you know, the, the people that Chakotay deals with, right? They are uniformly portrayed as warm, inviting, morally correct, good people. Would you say that's that's true? Absolutely. And at the forefront of all that is a Romulan. He's got a really good speech in there. And he's like, hey, look, we're sorry we deceived you, but everybody knows that the Borg are bad guys and we were bad guys, but we're victims in all this. You know, we were not willing participants in this terrible stuff. Uh, but through this tragedy, we've come out with a new lease on life. And I have been raised to hate the Federation and Klingons, but I understand now we're all just people and, you know, we need to make this thing work and get along. The the part of the horror of this episode that I really liked was that despite the fact that the the protagonist former drones are morally upstanding, they still do things that are definitely bad, uh, particularly what they end up forcing Chakotay to do later on in the episode out of what they see as their quote unquote right thing to do to preserve the lives of everyone thing everyone on the planet and it kind of the they have a dependence on the idea of being connected psychologically that they can't shake and it communicate in a subtle and i think effective way the damage that that connection had done to all of them that it bred a kind of aching addiction maybe to that idea that they the good people in this episode could think of no way to get out of their current predicament except to strip the individuality from everyone and reintegrate themselves into a collective and that you know I, i'm a sucker for a little philosophical depth right mm. and that was just enough to, for me to be like yes i like it i like what you're trying to say here so we're skipping pretty far ahead, but since we're going to discuss it now, I sympathize with what we're going to eventually end up calling the the co-op, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is the camp of good guys who want to farm and get along and be nice. And then you've got the more hostile elements, which you've fractioned off and, and are attacking them. Uh, I get it. And I think at the end of the day, I'm a ends justify the means type of guy. I don't really blame or villainize the cooperative for the stuff they do because they are trying to survive. There's a very clear path for them to survive. They understand the subject material better than Chakotay and Starfleet does. So when they say, hey, when we are asking you to do the stuff that you view as a threat that could bring more Borg and cause problems, uh, we know that it won't. We're going to protect and stop from happening. We just we need this thing so we can all live in peace. Uh, I get it. And I think the only part where I acknowledge is what they're doing as unjustifiably wrong is the fact that as 
Chakotay gets closer and closer with this group. He says, hey, look, what you got here is pretty cool, but we got a ship that's coming in orbit. Everybody who wants to get off this war-torn hellhole and be among congenial minds who also want to live in peace and get along and Federation values, basically, come on up, man. We got plenty of room and no one, you know, we got Maquis up there. You know, my own people are up there. Uh, We got space cats and space elves. (laughs) We don't say no to people. You know, this guy's gotten us in so many fucking problems. We haven't even blown him out of the airlock once. Uh, (laughs) And Riley ultimately says, no, this is our home. We we have to stay here. There's a very good opportunity for them to fix the situation without violence. And it's by removing themselves from a planet where they're not even supposed to be. And she turns it down. And that's where I think your argument about there is something, there's a dependency here, there's an addiction here uh, that I think it really rings true. Yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned. It's that they they had options other than what they chose to do. And they chose to do this because that's desperately what they wanted to do. And as, as kind and as kind of like, neutral good oriented as they appear in every other way there's still this dark specter of their experience as borg that has created them molded them not created them molded them in such a way that they are they decide that they want to take this dramatic action that takes away other people's agency and they think it's the only thing that they can do even though that's clearly not true but before Um, we get to any of that we've got chakotay who has just realized uh, what's going on here? He realizes it by coming up on Riley, who has her A plus, very expensive top shelf blonde wig off, and we see the entire back of her head is like machine. Um, and they they confront him and say, "Hey, look, sorry, we didn't want to scare you, but yeah, we're a bunch of weird amputee people, former drone dudes." Riley lays out the story. She's like, "Yeah, you know, we, everything I told you was true, but here are the specifics. I was on the USS Roosevelt." And I was at the Battle of Wolf 359 and I got, you know, abducted and assimilated. Although I thought it was really cool that they shouted out 359 and, and kind of give you some idea into what happens to some of these ships that get wrecked there. But doesn't that cube eventually get brought down in the Alpha Quadrant? Yeah. So this is the part that never quite makes much sense. This isn't the last time we'll run into somebody who says they got assimilated to Battle Wolf Five Wolf 359 either. But uh, unless there's some sort of Borg like escape pods that, that go to transwarp or something, I don't know, like a sphere like you see in First Contact, uh, no one would have survived uh, from the Borg from the Battle of Wolf 359 because they headed to Earth after fucking everybody up. And then, you know, they got data destroyed by data, basically. Uh, the uh, I, I like that they want to flavor it by saying, you know, linking it back to something that was a big thing in Trek. Uh, but it's a bit of a continuity fail whenever they invoke it. Ev- everyone involved with that died, including the Borg, as far as we're aware. And if there is a different explanation, none has been offered. Um, but Chakotay's kind of reeling at the idea of this. The wound on his face is getting worse. And this Romulan doctor that we talked about earlier, who was a good poster boy of like hey we can see past skin and and home world and all that stuff and just get along if we want to he's like hey look and he's got a pretty good process all the board prosthetics in this look good 
And uh, there'll be a drone later that I really want to harp on how good and scary he looks. But this uh, this Romulan doctor, he's got like this big mechanical eyepiece and like some Edward Scissorhand stuff going on. And he's like, uh, this thing, this 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 hoopty gun that shot you, it's no good. Your brain's rotting and it's going to kill you. But we have this thing we can do that will fix it because and normally when they're like, here's established Trek technology canon and we're going to drastically alter it. This this networking that the Borg do, right, this wi- this Wi-Fi network they're all on, it's not just about transmitting orders and instructions and data there is also a regenerative uh quality to it like uh like wireless charging right and you're getting all yeah. of this energy yeah it's a good way of describing it and it can be remetabolized basically and repair damage and that's part of why we're so relentless and chakotay is like well it sounds to me like you're trying to get me to drink your kool-aid and join your cult and you're not putting any usb jump drives in my fucking head so just back up off me i'll roll the dice and wait for voyage to get here and that's where we kind of leave off on them meanwhile up at uh, voyager they have now sped towards the cube they've confirmed that the lights are out over there and Janeway wants to move forward on this expedition onto the ship to investigate and see what uh what treasures can be had. She makes it seem like it's a big deal getting on a board cube to poke around, but enterprise ran enough away team missions on there. Like, is it really that big of a deal? It's a little bit different. I think when the life or death of the Federation is in hand, so you got to take some risks and that sort of thing. Uh, Janeway's reluctance to ultimately get involved with these people and help them do this. I think is a natural out, you know, uh, consequence of their isolation. I mean, for all of our Janeway trap queen (laughs) jokes, she doesn't want to expose Voyager to monkeying around with turning shit on in a Borg cube. If she doesn't have to. Right. Because there's no one to bail her out. Yeah. Right now, uh, everything's turned off. Large portions of the ship have been exposed to vacuum. I thought the Borg set looked kind of hokey. And once I read the memory alpha notes, I understood why the Borg interior shots were the smallest stage uh, assembled for this. And is basically a curved hallway with a little room. You know, Robert McNeil was like, we had to get real creative with people turning around to make it seem like you're turning a bunch of corners. But I think ultimately it just, it looked junky. And I've seen so many good Borg sets that seeing this thing, it just, and it looks like something someone built in their basement. The Voyager has figured out, you know, essentially, you know, the the same thing that Chakotay's been told about the this this cube that all the drones are dead. But there is the possibility that if that you could reactivate the drones on a limited basis, if there's accidentally like some sort of power surge into their backup units or something, it's a it's a it's basically a play to for for. A quick jump scare in uh, in sick bay as they're I want to talk uh, di- about that. They take a Borg who's been preserved in the vacuum of space. They bring it over and you got Balana, Kess and the doctor fooling around with this thing. And the makeup and prosthetics that they're using here are off of first contact. And I guess I never really knew that there was a difference between them. Um, when I think of Borg, I always think of like descent 
and Hugh. And because that's the first time you can really see Borg in extended shots, standing still and like what the implants will really look like. In good lighting, too. Yeah. In good lighting. Well, this med bay lighting is super harsh. And when they show the face, man, like this drone, they make it look like a good fourth of his head has just been scooped out. And it is like steampunk diesel machinery, not like tubes and robotic plating, but like sharp 90 degree angle corners and gears and oil jammed into the side of this guy's head and all the skin around it. It's like just loose and flappy. And it looks like a corpse that has been turned into uh, a half robot. It doesn't look like a man with, with tubes and stuff. It looks like a robot that has a little bit of flesh wrapped around it. Uh, and that's an important distinction because it's very unsettling and it really, it's scary. It definitely gives that space zombie feel to it, the techno zombie feel to it. It feels like and, the the creatures from like the Doom remake, where it's like evil super science merging <laughs> things that do not belong together very painfully to the person that it happens to. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What this better not result in more uh, terrible. <laughs> if I hear that song, I'm going to flip out, Joe. <laughs> no, I do uh, not want to hear more slash fic. What's your question? Uh, well, speaking of slash fic targets, what did you think of the Borg Queen? What was, What are your thoughts on the Borg Queen? It was a good character. It was a good Star Trek villain. It was a good foil and an antagonist to Picard and data and seductive and scary and all of that. I think it was a good, it was a good villain, but I do not think she belonged in the Borg. The Borg are supposed to be a faceless collective in a union of thousands of voices, not a queen pulling all the strings. I agree. I understand why they felt they needed to do that. If they were going to use it as a movie antagonist, because the problem with having a bunch of faith, uh, faceless hive mind drones is that they're not very interesting to interact with. You can't kill them. You, you could cut her head off and it's satisfying, but you you can't. You've got a Hydra. You've got the, the mega Hydra. And that's that's what makes the Borg cool. And that's what makes the Borg scary is it's not just a head you can cut off. I That is very thematically appropriate, but there was something that always bothered me about the fact that the Borg Queen is basically a vampy, seductive manipulator, you know, like it had this very specific characterization and did that never really worked for me. I don't know how else to, to say it. Yeah, but I think they just wanted some light bondage scene. I guess it's not light. It's pretty heavy with data chained up in the engineering, uh, you know, department and and her coming over and like put <laughs> playing with his arm hair and all this I, I think they just wanted like a, a data torture porn scene yeah i guess they did and they really wanted a bdsm lady to be doing the torture porn so well they, they did, did it and it worked out well for him but i again great villain and i think if they would have put her in any other race the soren or anything else it would have been really cool but it's 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 not what the borg are supposed to be about i think Certainly not the actress's issue. She played it up. It was yeah. I'm just I'm talking more, I guess, about the uh, the overall idea of it. But anyway, yeah, Voyager eventually. Finds the, sh the, the planet and Chakotay 
without any really other any options available to him, decided to kind of go in on the on the temporary mind link to prevent himself from having a fatal stroke or whatever. And uh, we have a, a scene where he, he feels the, the neural link from everyone and feels very connected to them. And, and the healing works. It I want to talk out. about this. They bring the group of people in essentially the prayer circle that are going to create this ad hoc network to give him the healing Wi-Fi, right? This is the good yes. high speed Wi-Fi. This isn't the free stuff they give you at the airport. And I'm, I think one of those dudes was a Talaxian in there. Did you catch him? I did not catch a Talaxian. I, I honestly, a lot of the background characters were difficult to determine what was what some of the time. Pretty sure one was a Talaxian. This is where they really start casting some shadows of doubt for me as to what is this group really about? And, and my wife's watching. She's like, I want to start watching this with you. Bring me up to speed on what's going on here. And as they start pouring these dudes in the room to uh, begin the prayer circle and they're giving them like the sales pitch on this. She's like, is this Scientology? And I was like, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like there's <laughs> such heavy cult vibes coming off the way that these people are like staring at Chakotay and like, yes, come to us. This is going to be so good. Drink the Kool-Aid Chakotay. Look at my eyes, Chakotay. And again, I, 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 in my mind, I'm thinking like, Still, what if there's an implant, you know, he's really in real life sitting on some stretcher with Borg tech jammed in his temple. And this is what assimilation really is. Like in the instant it takes to like assimilate someone in their mind in this VR construct, it's a multi-day procedure where you are getting the person you are assimilating to buy in. You can't be forced into the collective. You have to walk in open arms. And this is the elaborate VR ruse. And this is hot on the tail of... uh of the Janeway death episode where we find out about these space parasites that go in people's minds who are about to die. And they have to like con you into going into their space hell so they could feast on your soul. Like second guess this Chakotay. This is the cult sales pitch. Uh, do not go into the light. He does. And that montage was fucking cool. Uh, they portray the link and how it builds into a cacophony very artistically. Uh, the way that they kind of build into it's sounding very nice and kind of pleasant at first. And then it becomes more and more sounding like the Borg. And they intersperse that with like different visions that are obviously coming from the cult circle and all of that. It's again, the, uh, the delicately sinister nature of what these people are up to is communicated in a subtle way that I appreciate. They talk about following the uh, the communal link and Chakotay's feeling great. He's got a lot of pep in his step. He's talking about what a wonderful experience, how he's never felt so close to so many people. And he is riding high on this experience. And even though they've and this is where I thought the weak spot of the episode was because it's that intersection where story and technology don't really jive. They pulled the implant out and there's this latent. Uh, psychic buzz he still has. And like when uh -huh. he touches his face, uh, Riley feels it when she blows, you know, on her palm, he feels it. And they're like, wow, we're basically on ecstasy. Let's go have sex. This is going to be amazing. And it is amazing. <laughs> and he just rides this thing out. But the group's just like, hey, you know, we are all like we were feeling really demoralized, but the uniqueness that you brought and the the passion and the 
and you know basically all the cool Starfleet attitude from former Maquis terrors. <laughs> all this determination, it's really re-energized us. And we are better for the experience. We're glad we could help you, but we definitely took something away from this too. It got me kind of thinking like, what if once upon a time, there's, and this is what I love about this episode, there's so much cool thought experimentation and what if, and if you're going to tell a Borg story, but you don't put the explicit details on the table and you let people wonder what if and draw their own conclusions. What if once upon a time, the Borg were not unlike the Skevians, who were a very technologically advanced culture, um, but they've been there, they've done that, and they've seen it all, and they're bored. And they start turning their their highest psychological utility, their commodity, becomes other people's experiences and their stories and their literature and blah, blah, blah. But the Borg take it to the next step. They want to live those memories. They want to steal those memories and have it for themselves. And what if the assimilation, the push to assimilate, it's not just about technology, but taking all those individual experiences and bringing it to the collective so everybody might feast upon these things. And you've got this, this you know, to take a D&D term here, this, this sensate-like quality, which is a, a guild of uh, dudes on the outer rim or whatever. Was it Solaria? What's that weird pocket dimension city? That's a loop. Uh, Sigil? Sigil, yeah. Sensates work out of there, I believe. And it's, you know, their goal is to go out and experience everything that there is to experience in the universe. And that's just the Borg. And the way they're doing it is by, instead of living those experiences themselves, is finding people who've already done it, and you pull them in, and you consume those memories. The idea of the Borg presents all kinds of interesting opportunities for storytelling that doesn't demystify or otherwise do the drow treatment to them. This is a great example of look at all the, your, your mind is opened up to all these possibilities. You're, you're spinning out all this potential headcanon and explanations and ways to like delve into a deeper psychological uh, drama being played out here. That does make them more compelling as a long-term uh, fi- fixture in a show like this. And the fact that they punt on really like following through on any of this that this represents more or less one of the better Borg episodes we're ever going to get to see is what also ultimately disappointing to them because they didn't actually take the right lesson from this episode. They didn't take from this like, oh, what makes the Borg scary is all of the way, subtle ways that even if you're free of them, you're never free of them. Something that Patrick Stewart does such a great job of portraying for his entire time playing Picard after Best of Both Worlds. They do capture some of that here, and then they just like, obviously Seven of Nine comes around, but that's an entirely different type of way of approaching it, and it's never quite the same. No, uh, what we're looking at here is wounded victims. Yeah. And and I think- Who are not fully understanding of what has been done to them. That, I think, is the key. They, they, They do not appear to be malicious, and- don't understand the the depths to which that they have been driven as a consequence of their uh, experiences. Now's the right time to talk about Picard too. Why, you know, Picard was able to move past this traumatic experience. Certainly he spent less time as a board drone than the rest of them did. But, you know, whereas uh, another Starfleet officer, Dr. Uh, Riley uh, succumbs to these, these weaknesses, I think ultimately you're dealing with Picard, who is someone with extraordinary willpower, who has been through 
much worse things and come out, you know, with his chin up high. I think also the fact that these people were in a group, it makes it easier when there's a diffusion of responsibility to quote unquote, do the right thing. And everybody just kind of talks themselves into a bad idea. Ultimately, uh, Voyager shows up. They pull Chakotay back up to the uh, ship and they, he brings Riley with him. And this is all post like ecstasy sex. And they sales pitch him. They say, hey, uh, the solution to our problems, we can get everybody to get along just fine. If we can just kind of get everybody back on the same wavelength, literally. Uh, and to do that, we just need to turn on this one little part of the board cube ship just for a couple seconds. It'll it'll just get everybody to be willing to cooperate and it'll be great. And. Janeway takes a real interesting role in this conversation because normally she just comes out swinging hard nose and real unilateral stuff. And in this one, uh, they dismiss Riley and she turns to Chakotay and says, you know, what am I supposed to do here to tell? Give me your input. Clue me in. And uh, Chakotay is like, I want to tell you everything's great and we should trust him, but I'm a Starfleet officer and and I understand the risks here and I don't want to be in your shoes. I I like Chakotay in this episode a lot. And, you know, we talked about last week if our liking Chakotay thing would continue. I feel like it really kind of held together pretty well. Wholeheartedly. I will. I guess it's worth pointing out. And I promise you this is not an excuse to read slash fiction. Given what we had to suffer <sighs> through last week. <laughs> that relief. Yes. Uh, given what we had to suffer through last week of the show being desperate to not let anyone have sex. The fact that they run it up to this, Hey, these two are like psychically bonded. They're super into each other as a consequence and they fuck. And they go from there in the episode. I thought was like, well, okay, <laughs> I guess, guess we're uh, out of the not having people have sex mode all of a sudden. And I read that that really pissed a lot of people like the, the Janeway Chakotay boyfriend, girlfriend fan club. Oh, the shippers like did not like that. Oh, that's funny. I'm not surprised. Cause I, what I guess I really liked about it though, was that he has that experience and the trope in that case is Chakotay becomes the dumb animal <laughs> man. Right. And now he's like, he's being thinking with his dick and he wants to help these people out and he's going to do some shit he shouldn't do as a consequence. Like with Seska, how he's like got all connected to all of that. And, you know, yeah, the trope used to bang is. and all that. Chakotay gets played. <laughs> right. But in this case, he says, you know what? We probably shouldn't do it. We probably shouldn't risk it. Yeah. He, he actually is like takes a second recognizes his bias and says, if I'm taking myself out of the equation and I'm putting myself in your shoes, probably not the right move. And that's why I really like Chakotay this episode is that that's like, I don't know if that was intended character growth, but at least it kind of felt like it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So they, uh, and he even says, you know, look, I'll be the one to tell her that we've decided no. So it really seems like he is his own man again and thinking free and clear. Uh, we cut down to the surface and uh, you got Neelix and some other people. They've given the uh, co-op, which is what this the the, the good uh, former drone circle enclave calls itself. They've given medical supplies and, you know, refresh some other stuff, which is mighty generous of the Federation to give their old mortal enemies 
parts of their very limited stores and they take off. Uh, they, they depart. We've got Chakotay back in a shuttle with Balana and they are, what, did they recover that shuttle or did that thing get parted out? They say they recovered the shuttle that Chakotay was on, um, that the stunned Balana <laughs> left in the guy got got by the gat. So he, they're flying and uh, Belana knows, again, this is her best friend. She gives him some, you know, you know, some warm advice. Hey, you just need to get your ass kicked in some more racquetball. He's like, yeah, I'll take you up on that. And then Chakotay starts hearing voices <laughs> and it's a good fake out. We thought this is the end of the episode. No, there's more to go here. Uh, Belana's like, whoa, listen, I was just space crazy a couple uh, hours ago with uh, Pond Farm. Maybe we should turn around. And then Chakotay's like, why don't you get your hands off that console? And he's got the the, the phaser on her. <laughs> he just fucking blasts her point blank. And I lose it laughing. The point blank gut shot was, uh, oh, I, I don't want to say it was uh, comedically timed on purpose, but the way it's done is pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> There's like this beat where Bolana's like, wait. And then he's like, <laughs> <laughs> very not Starfleet. Yeah, he flies, off. Like, yeah. he flies off to the board cube and he is now being like remote administrated by the collective down on the surface. Uh, the alien or the, you know, the, the, the Raider factions are attacking. Uh, they're banging on the door to the co-op literally with a battering ram and the co-op is on its knees. And in their time of great need, they have united their powers to summon captain planet. But it's Commander Chakotay, which I guess Chakotay'd be a good Captain Planet stand-in. He's very, he's a natural. Well, you know, he's, right? he's an Indian. He loves the He's Earth a vegetarian. Mother. And a vegetarian, know? yeah. That tattoo's kind of blue on his face. Just get him a green mullet and he's good to go. We saw he already looks good in a silver skin suit from last episode. He gets up on the Borg uh, cube and they are just telling him, hey, you got to turn the left down this hallway, right over here, flip this switch, do that. And he is fully under their spell. I don't know if was it neural peptides or some bullshit. Uh, yeah, that's the exact phrasing. They 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 say neural peptides uh, quite a bit to describe why it is uh, this worked. But the ex- the excuse is the, the magic space juice that uh, allowed Chakotay to heal kind of like lingered in his consciousness for a while. And that allowed the cooperative to manipulate him so that he would go onto the cube and reactivate the thing that needed to be reactivated. So that Janeway expressly said, no, this is the ridiculous part of this episode that Janeway would find out that her first officer had been soft assimilated, essentially that he had been brought into a board collective and that she returned him to full authority duty without even so much as a trip to sickbay. Yeah, the the, the wrap up scene is very uh, hastened, I guess is the word to describe it. But he gets on the ship on the on the cube. They're telling him what to do. <clears throat> Voyager gets clued in on what's going real quick. And we send over. Uh, I don't know. We got Tuvok and Harry Kim. Uh, they start looking for him. Eventually they find him, not before Chakotay can just blast Harry in the gut, too. Uh, they stun Chakotay up, but of course, on his way down, he flips a switch and 
The cooperative is able to exert its influence over the rest of the outcasts, reunifies them, and communicates a message in our typical Borg voice, albeit very friendly, that, hey, sorry we had to do that. It was a do or die. We are very apologetic. This is the way it had to go, uh, but we will not forget your kindness and uh, have a safe one. They, again sound really like positive and non-threatening and I would say good, but good. But what they just did was essentially hijacked Kote's brain to make him steal away the individuality of everybody on the planet, which is certainly a giant Federation. No, no at a minimum they're left to contemplate during the wrap up scene like the moral implications of what the collective I'd rather the cooperative is versus the collective. If it's going to be a threat and all that, and they don't go too far into it, but I still, I still like kind of the moral ambiguity of it. All of it. I still would not say what they did was wrong. Certainly it's not Federation, but we have seen the Federation shoot itself in the foot to terrible detriment over and over again with, some misplaced morals, and I would not blame the collective if it were not for the fact that Chakotay didn't tell them, hey, get off of this 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 dump. There's a better life in the stars with us. You used to be Starfleet. You can still you know, get back in the saddle. We're willing to accept you, and they chose to stay on planet hell because they knew that the only way to fix the situation down there was going to be space drug of uh of shared mind and that's what really what you said that's what they wanted and they engineered the situation so that's what they fell into which is why ultimately i think it's a quote unquote the wrong thing to do because they took a pass on the ways to fix the problem that did not involve mind raping everyone on the planet and so that that's bad casey pointed out something when i was watching this because you know she's like What's this episode? And I said, Unity. And she said, oh, is that the name of the the alien that's doing this? Like that Rick and Morty episode. And it reminded me of uh, Rick's girlfriend, which is the hive mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of similarities between those two episodes. And I'm sure one had to influence, you know, the other Voyager influencing them. That when uh, when the hive mind withdraws its influence off of the population of this planet, like these people are all fucking miserable racist (laughs) jerks who you know start murdering each other in the streets uh but and i think in the rick and morty they certainly make it seem a much more humane situation to subject them all to the mind control you know they're happy productive people uh that just can't function correctly otherwise so Fun glimpses into Star Trek's influence over some other mediums. You know, the, the the Rick and Morty episode, like so many other Rick and Morty episodes, are products of genre, I don't want to say satire. And this is the sort of thing that obviously inspires that kind of satire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's maybe it, it pays for you and I in particular as we go through this show to appreciate that a lot of the time you know these are the kind of test bed of ideas we're talking about tv that's at this point nearly you know 22 23 years old coming up on a quarter century old and uh 
when they have a a well-meaning miss uh it's it's mostly because they're trying to do something that's a little out you know off the wall they're pathfinding they're going down new story ideas and something like this might seem like you know it's been retread a few times but i'm willing to believe that this might be one of the first times this this structure of a story has ever been told before um all in all i i love this episode it was great star trek it was great sci-fi it was great acting it was great directing beltrain really holds down the fort with chakotay the script holds up and i think robert duncan mcdeal did a great job directing yeah minor nitpicks aside about some of how the story ramps out uh this was really a lot uh, very interesting to watch uh very well put together uh it it begs interesting philosophical questions about the actions of who they deal with in this episode and, you know, leaves you thinking more and more about what the Borg are and what they mean without telling you too much. And is an unfortunately a line that Voyager does not hold on to uh, as often as, as you would hope. So I would say that I would call this a great adjacent story to something that's been established it it's able to tell a story in a sandbox it, it's a good i don't want to say what if but just different way of looking at things and I, I think that's the right way to handle established stuff and i am not looking forward to seeing uh what the other side of that coin is but moving forward we're going to be getting into season three episode 18 darkling and we see kess in a <laughs> one piece red uh spandex outfit and there's the emh and he's grabbing her by the arm and uh, looks like he's about to give her a hypospray she doesn't want the doctor incorporates the personalities of several historical figures into his programming Bolana warns him the results could be unfavorable you know usually these uh robert picardo centric emh episodes are really good but man i do not like historical figures in star trek and this scares me. <laughs> I I have a great deal of faith in the the power of Robert Picardo. And, you know, this is the I, I I'm happy to tell you that this is one of the better episodes of the show. I'm not going to say it's like top 10 material, but I remember it well. I remember it well because the doctor's awesome and you should enjoy this one. All right. I'm willing to trust in that. Uh to congratulate unity and and actually being a really really good episode uh i've broke out the old rules of acquisition and i'd say it's worthy i'd say it's worthy go for it i dub this rule 168 um recognizing the persuasive power of the co-op's voice uh in chakotay's ear whisper your way to success (laughs) that's very effective very appropriate. Well selected, sir. And we will continue our selection of Voyager uh, next week with Darkling. Thanks, as always, to Ian and Sarah for our lovely theme music. Thank you to all of the uh, V'ger Please family out there who have been liking and sharing our content. You know, we always appreciate that. Uh, Shame feel- on any of you who have sent Joe this vile fan fiction that you... <laughs> try to pollute our wholesome podcast with send me shame. more shame send no. send it all to me uh, as always if you wish to send us an email if you would like to have something that you would like us to to talk about on air you may always do so 
at vgerplease at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll also have some announcements about uh, a live stream. We're going to we, we're due to do a mess hall here soon. We'll we'll figure that out. You know, we just want to get fully back into the swing of doing episodes, but mess hall coming soon. You can count on that and some other announcements as well. So until then, join us next week for Darkling. Peace. <laughs>